This is Sansuk by Deter Mumfit, Chapter 4, read by 15, also known as Baby Girl Baggins. Thorn finished his knife and began work on a pair of boot daggers. Just to thumb his nose at Dees, he embedded chips of emerald in the handles and engraved the patterns for honored family along the blade. He could be decorative when he chose. He ended up gifting them to Feely and was therefore obliged to create a set for Keeley as well, lest he get deafened by complaints of favoritism. And then, of course, Freren wanted a set as well. Nothing else changed in Mahal's halls. Nothing ever changed in Mahal's halls. Thorin had been a very active dwarf his whole life. He had very rarely been stationary, forever journeying, or working, or building, or planning. Remaining in one place was proving difficult. He turned his hand to more and more projects, but very little kept him satisfied. As the years turned, and the second anniversary of the Battle of Five Armies came and went, he began to forge the links for an entire hauberk of mail, simply to give himself something to do that was not staring wistfully at the waters of Gimlin Zaram, longing in vain for the colors of Middle-earth. Two years, and Erebor was becoming a hub of activity. His company had risen to prominence, due to their great wealth and the reputation their quest had given them. Ori was working to restore the histories that had been damaged by the dragon. His people had so little of their history left to them, after wars, dragons, balrogs, and exile after exile, that it was a blessing there was anything left at all. Dory had become a very powerful member of the Weaver's Guild, and was tireless in promoting guild interests. Nori had set up a gambling den and tavern of some scandalous repute, and sat with his ears open each night, passing every tidbit of information to Balin. Bofur was a great favorite amongst the few children of Esgoroth who had settled in Dale. He had begun a large venture, trying to establish the toy markets of Dale that had once been the wonder of the North. Biffer worked beside him most of the week, but on all other occasions Biffer could be found with Ori. The young dwarf was trying to help Biffer regain his words, but the process was very slow. Biffer's understanding of ancient Kustul was now confused, and he frequently used a completely unrelated word when he meant something totally different. He would then revert to English Mech, but all too often he could not find the right signs. With Ori's help he had shown a little improvement, and Bofur and Bomber assisted when they had the time. Bomber was king of the marketplace of Erebor. None could even come close. 
He sat at his shop and watched every sweet cake and meat pie and jam roly-poly walk off the shelves. Bilbo's larder that night in Bag End had certainly made an impression, and Thorin recognized several hobbitish dishes alongside more traditional dwarvish fare. Bomber's limp was no better, but his walking staff had become a sort of calling card amongst the other traders. He often had a string of linked sausages or a bag of sweets hanging from the end. Owen was still being kept busy with the wounded of the battle. No dwarf or man was still in danger, but many had sustained complications. He had appropriated a room that Thorin vaguely remembered as being a guardsman's barracks, and had outfitted it as an infirmary. There he doctored and cared for those dwarves whose families could not, and trained a small group of younger dwarves in herb lore and medicine, with all the irritability and snappishness of a drill-master. Balin and Gloin could be seen at loggerheads most days. Dane had approved one-fourteenth of the treasure to go to Bard for the restoration of Dale and Esgaroth, and the new master of Lake Town was becoming rather demanding and grasping when it came to the selection of the gold and jewels. Glowin strenuously disagreed with using priceless heirlooms and historical artifacts centuries old as no more than currency in their trading with the men and elves. Balin shook his beard angrily and asked if Glowin would be the first to volunteer to eat them. Glowin would bellow that this wasn't a siege and it wasn't about the damned gold, this was their heritage and traditions. Would they give up their history and culture so readily? Balin would ask, cold as ice, if Glowin really thought that Balin, of all dwarves, was not aware of the cultural significance of some of the items. Balin had watched much of it forged with his own two eyes, had known the makers himself, and hadn't Balin been at Azanubizar for Mahal's sake. Glowin would bristle, his beard doubling in size which was quite a sight, and snarl that Glowin had been at Azanulbizar as well. What had Azanulbizar to do with it? Balin would seethe, and Glowin would fume, and the next day they would do it again. Thorin watched this with a sinking sense of déjà vu. Dwalin drank at Nori's tavern and did not speak often. He ran his troops with whip-like efficiency, and was fast gaining a reputation as totally humorless and a really dangerous fellow to cross. He had added three new tattoos to his collection, one over each brow and another spanning the bridge of his nose. Thorin almost choked when he saw them, and his heart reached out to his old friend. They were the symbols chosen for Thorin, Feely, and Keeley at their births, and inscribed on their beads and clasps. He spent all his time training his soldiers, working the patrols, and organizing the rotas. His deputy was a black-locked werodam named Orla, stout, stern, and nearly as severe as himself. Erebor was depressing, and Thorin was restless. He tried to watch Bilbo, puttering around his garden doing something incomprehensible to tomato plants, and failed. He fled within seconds. He ended up watching his fiery young cousin more and more often. Gimli was amusing, 
and he was also very rarely motionless. The lad seemed never to stop, tirelessly moving from mine to training room to Deese's chamber to his home, laughing and shouting and roaring the whole time. He began to put on bulk quickly when the mine supervisor started him on hauling ore to the refinery. Simultaneously, his training grew more intensive, and he began to work with the heavy double-bladed battle-axe rather than the single-bladed spinning-axe. True to all predictions, he grew into Thorin's tunic in a matter of months. The lad would never be tall, but he made up for it in sheer muscle. Dees and Mizim seemed to be getting along splendidly. It was an intimidating thought. Every now and then, Thorne would catch a glimpse of that curious, perceptive, and compassionate soul at the heart of the lad. The day Loney knocked Gimli down, he immediately sprang to his feet and grabbed Loney's arms and began to dance in triumph. "'You did it!' he crowed. "'Flat on my arse, and no mistake! Told you that you could do it!' Loney grinned sheepishly as his defeated opponent celebrated his victory far more enthusiastically than himself. Gimli even began to show some signs of a rather poetic disposition, singing to himself as he dragged cart after cart of iron ore from the mines to the upper chambers, where he poured them into the vast cauldrons for refining. He would make up little chance to keep the work from becoming dull, their beat echoing with his footsteps along the dark tunnels. Thorin had found himself humming along more often than once, and had even caught himself singing one as a hammering song as he forged yet another link for his chainmail hauberk. Death had, unsurprisingly, slowly become a rather numbing routine, and so when Glowin, Bofer, and Bomber suddenly disappeared from Erebor, Thorin was caught utterly by surprise. He found them camped beyond Mirkwood on the plains north of Bayorn's house. Their ponies stood grazing in the glade behind them, and their bedrolls surrounded a happily blazing fire. How many? Glowin said, astonished. Eleven, Bomber said with a little blush. Oh, no, it'll be twelve by now. Alris will have given birth to the last, what, a year and a half ago? It'll be two years by the time we reach Arid Luin, remarked Bofer. Sweet, merciful Mahal. How does she do it? Glowin muttered. I could barely stand having two crying bairns in the house, let alone twelve. Well, the eldest is sixty soon. She and the other lads help with the wee ones. Sixty. Glowin gave him an amused look. You and Alris got started early, didn't you? Bomber's blush deepened. Your wife has all my admiration, Glowin said, stoking at his merry fire. Twelve. Durin save us. How did you keep them all fed and clothed? Bomber shrugged. I'm a cook. Alris is a tanner. We managed. Bifur and I helped, Bofer said. Still, our shares are going to come in right handy. Little Beerer or Bofries aren't going to grow up poor like we did. Glowin frowned slightly, and he nodded without speaking. Thorin knew how he felt. The poverty of the Orr family had been very confronting when it was unearthed during the quest, 
and though no dwarf of the Blue Mountains had been wealthy, to come face to face with a truly poor family had only driven home the importance of their mission. Suppose you're looking forward to seeing your two. I, my bold lad and my lovely little lass, Glowen said and smiled. Mizim wrote. Gimris has begun an apprenticeship in glass-blowing, and apparently Gimli has made friends with the Lady Dees. The audacity of that boy! The princess? Beaufort shared a glance with Bomber. Now there's a surprise. I know, could have knocked me down with a feather when I read it. And you, Beaufort, did you never think to wed? Beaufort shrugged. Always wanted to. Wanted a one, wanted kids. The whole vein of ore, you know. Been looking my whole life, but never found them. Not all of us are as lucky as you or Bomber. Guess I'm on my own. Beaufort looked so gloomy for a split second, he seemed like an entirely different dwarf. Bomber put his ham-like hand on Beaufort's shoulder before sending a quick glance to Glowin and shaking his head. Oh, well, a pity that. Glowin stretched theatrically and then scratched at his leonine mane. Should turn in soon, lads. Night's drawn on. I'll take first watch. And leave me with second. No fear, Bomber said. I'll take first, and you can get up in the middle of your sleep instead. Thorin couldn't help but smile. This was an old argument. Second watch was the most unpleasant and least desirable of the three. No one liked having to interrupt a sound sleep to stay awake for a few hours, and it led to itchy eyes and short fuses the next morning. In fact, on their first journey, second watch had become shorthand for bad-tempered. "'You had first watch last night, you lump,' Bofer said, and prodded his brother's side. "'I'll take first, Glowin has second, and you can have third and I'll expect breakfast to be ready for us when we wake. Here now, I didn't, Glowen began to protest, but subsided with a grumble when Bofer pointedly leaned back against a tree. Bomber and Glowen settled into their bedrolls, and Bofer took out a whittling knife and a half-finished dwarf warrior toy. With a little lurch and a muffled laugh, Thorin recognized the unmistakable outline of Dwalin. I hope you realize he will kill you he told Bofer. Ah, he's a bestseller. I'm making him famous, Bofer mumbled. Thorin shook his head. Lads, Glowin said sleepily, what's the first thing you're going to say to Bilbo when you see him? Bomber hummed for a moment and then mumbled, ask for that cheesecake recipe. How did I know it was going to be something like that? Bofer said, grinning. I like cheesecake, Bomber said with a shrug, and rolled over. Then I'll be hugging our hobbit, and then we should have a little party. No burping. He doesn't like burping, Glowin said, his voice becoming slurred. I'll be giving him a hug, too. Poor wee blighter. Dwarves coming and interrupting his life again. Never thought I'd look back on that party with such fondness. Then I'll be placing myself and my family at his service for twenty generations. Hobbits don't live that long. 
one dwarf generation. Half. Oh, I didn't know that. Glowin fell silent, and then he said, Well, I'll be hugging him anyway. Bofer. I'll be getting my hat back, to be sure, Bofer said, his knife busy carving a tattoo into the miniature Dwalin's brow. And I, I'll give the little fellow a hug as well. Thought I'd make him a flute, you know, in case that hobbit hole of his gets too quiet now and then. It'll be right fine to see him again, Bomber said drowsily. Agreed, Gloin said. Well, night, lads. Tomorrow's another day, and we'll be seeing old Bayorn and his menagerie soon enough. Green food, shuddered Bofer. Rest up. We'll need all our strength. Honey cakes, Bomber mumbled, and dropped into a snore. Come in! Come in! Bilbo said, beaming so widely Thorin half feared he was going to strain his face. My goodness, look at you all! Aren't you a sight for sore eyes? I suppose you're thirsty? Aye, laddie, said Glowin, but first there's a little something we all promised to do. What's that, then? I hope my poor plumbing is safe this time. I've only just got it sorted out again, you know. We're making no promises when it comes to plumbing, said Bofer, grinning, and then the three dwarves were picking Bilbo up and squeezing him tightly in a great hug. Bilbo squeaked loudly, before throwing his arms around as much of them as possible. Oh, you ridiculous dwarves, he said mistily. I have missed you. Now put me down, gently, if you please. Bomber smiled at him and wiped at his eyes with the long, thick plate that circled his neck. You look well, Mr. Baggins. Hardly changed a bit. I get by, I get by, he said, thrusting his thumbs into his waistcoat pockets and rocking back on his heels. Thorin noted that the buttons of the waistcoat were now gold, and that Bilbo's hair was a little longer, and his eyes were a little older and sadder. I'll go broach a barrel of ale. It's from the ivy bush, you know. Finest beer in the West Farthing. I think I have a barrel of old Toby stored away as well. I'll check. Oh, do make yourselves at home. Well, you usually do, don't you? He laughed. Not a shy bunch as a rule, Bofer agreed. Will you be staying long? Bilbo asked as he scurried away. His voice echoed through the smile, and the three dwarves blinked and looked around in confusion. Stone sense and a knowledge of echoes did not exactly translate to a hobbit hole, it seemed. Perhaps a few nights, said Gloin. It's been a long road. And it's not over yet, muttered Bomber, leaning heavily on his staff. Well, put down your packs, hang your cloaks on the pegs, take off those awful heavy boots of yours, and go and warm yourselves up. The fire's lit, and I've plenty of food. Well, make a little celebration of it, what do you say? Bilbo reappeared, clutching an ale barrel with both arms, and struggling under its weight. Bofer took it from him and tucked it under an arm. Exactly our thinking, he said and winked. Hope you've a few more of these. Bilbo waved a hand. 
Oh, enough, enough. We'll get by, won't we, lads? Aye, it'll do very nicely, Glowin said. The four settled in. Beaufort's hat was presented with much pomp. Bilbo had cleaned it off as well as he could, which was not very. And an endless procession of food appeared. And soon a merry little gathering was progressing in Bilbo's drawing room. Again, very little had changed, except now there was a small elvish dagger mounted over the fireplace instead of a hobbit's portrait. Thorin could remember standing at that hearth and staring into the flames as he sang. He's had sting engraved, he remarked to himself, ghosting his fingers over the little sword that had saved his life. Yes, I have that old thing engraved in Rivendell on the way home. Don't any of you complain about the Sindarin, or I'll take it down and use it, said Bilbo placidly. Pass the scones. Beaufort looked about. What's a scone? Oh, call yourself my brother, Bomber said scornfully, and handed the basket to Bilbo, after snagging three for himself, of course. So, how are things under the mountain? Bilbo took a bite of his scone after liberally topping it with jam and cream. Everyone is well, I hope. I receive a letter now and again. It quite scandalizes my neighbors when a ranger comes stomping up Bagshot Row. But it isn't the same as being there. We're all fine, Beaufort said, spearing a slice of pork with his knife and taking a bite. Everyone is as well as they were last you saw us. Some of us are better than we were, at least, Glowin said with a sigh, sitting back and taking out his pipe. Ori's cough is gone, and now he's in charge of all official records and letters as well as sorting the histories. Barely see the lad except at council, he's that busy. Dwalin ended up losing the eye, but he sees so well out of the other you'd never notice. Well, except for the diamond, Bomber added. He's got a new one made out of glass, and they put a diamond in the center. It shines when the light hits it just right. Scares the life out of the younger lads. Dory's waging a one-dwarf hostile takeover of the guilds, and Mahal help you if you ever get in his way. He'll end up guildmaster at this rate, and he's so strong, everyone'll be too scared to cross him, or else they'll get walloped on the head. And poor old Owen is still being worked to the bone, Beaufort continued. He's training up a whole heap of the young'uns, Says he's fed up with always having to patch idiots up, so there should be idiots to treat them. Biffer, said Bilbo tentatively. Bomber and Bofer looked at each other, and then shook their heads. Not much improvement there, I'm afraid, Bilbo, said Bomber sadly. He drifts away more and more often. Now and again he simply goes blank. We just wait for him to come back to us and let him know we're glad when he does. I'm sorry, said Bilbo, and looked down at his scone. Well, Beaufort said eventually. Norris made himself a new leg. It's quite a thing. He keeps a dagger in it, you know, and a set of lockpicks, and a pack of cards, and a leather cosh. Bilbo smiled. He would. He's still keeping his tavern and reporting to Balin, and Balin's still keeping day in in the loop, said Bomber. "'stretching out his legs and passing Glowin the pipeweed. "'Glowin growled. "'Balin's still a pig-headed old fool,' he grumbled, "'and Bofer made frantic, 
Don't ask signs behind his back. Bilbo nodded quickly and changed the subject. And the mountain? How's the restoration going? It's still a lot of work, Glowin said, taking out his tinder and flint and lighting up. Got the main public areas cleaned up and habitable, and most of the houses, but a lot of damage was done to the structural integrity of the whole southern quarter, including the throne room. It's going to take decades to excavate and prop and rebuild. We've been using the battlements or the inner bailey for audiences most of the time. Bilbo swallowed, and Thorin looked away. The battlements of Erebor were not his favorite place in the world. And how about you then, Master Baggins? Glowin said, and slapped the hobbit's knee. Been keeping well? Impressing all the little hobbit lasses with your tails? Ah, now, now, our hobbit is a gentleman, said Bofur, a twinkle in his eye. He'd never be kissing and telling. I, uh, look at him blush. Bomber snorted, red as a ruby and no mistake. Actually, Bilbo managed to say, I don't suppose I shall ever marry, and I don't really mind, to be honest. Oh, Bofur said, and tipped his head. I'm sorry. Found her and lost her, did you? Him, Bilbo mumbled. Thorin's heart momentarily stuttered and then it began to gallop. Oh, said Gloin, and then put a careful hand on Bilbo's back. I'm sorry, laddie. Bilbo waved a hand. It's all over and done now, he said, and smiled, though it was very wobbly. It's not really the done thing around here, sad to say. And he wasn't. Well, he couldn't. Anyway, I'm odd enough as it is, I don't really need any more rumors flying about the place. Goodness knows he wasn't the type of fellow to settle here in Hobbiton. He'd have caused a general panic. Not a hobbit, was he? said Beaufort softly. And Bilbo stiffened. I'll... I'll just see to another barrel, shall I? He scurried out of the door, and Thorin stared after him. His head was spinning. I knew it, mumbled Bomber. Knew it. Well, that's one mystery solved too late, said Glowin sadly, and puffed at his pipe, staring into the flames. Funny, though, isn't it? A hobbit and a duero. I suppose I hoped he'd never figure it out. It would have been kinder for him never to know. Pair of fools, said Bofor with unexpected viciousness, and Bomber patted his brother's shoulder. There now. As Bilbo said, it's all done and over. Not like there's anything to be done about it now. Found his one, though, didn't he? Bofur growled, and his hands tightened around his tankard. Found him, and they were right for each other, but they waited too long and they hurt each other without the chance to make it right. And now it's all too late and they'll never be together. Bofur, Bomber began, and then gave up on words, and dragged his brother into a bear hug. Bofur was stiff at first, but eventually relaxed in Bomber's embrace. 
Birashagami, Bofer eventually said, and Bomber chuckled. Western Bofer, you know it annoys Bilbo. Bilbo should be used to being annoyed by now, Bofer said, muffling his voice in Bomber's thick shoulder. Believe me, I am, Bilbo said dryly from the door, his hands wrapped around a couple of bottles. What have you dreadful dwarves been up to now? Oh, terrible, scurrilous things, you'd be amazed, Bofer said brightly, pushing himself away from Bomber and digging inside his jerkin. Now, I made you a little something on the way. Where'd I put it? Bilbo set the bottles down, and Bofer handed him the little polished flute. Why, it's just like yours! Thank you, Bofer, how tremendously thoughtful! He brought it to his lips and tried a few tuneless notes. The fourth squeaked loudly, and he jerked the flute away from his lips with wide eyes and a muttered shire curse, ridiculously tame though they were. The three dwarves fell over with laughter, and Bilbo cleared his throat and chuckled self-consciously. Well, yes, perhaps that might take just a little more practice. I'll teach you a few songs before we go, eh? Bofer said and wiped at his eyes. Then that way you won't scare away all the birds. Oh, I don't know, Bilbo said. Rather an effective way to get rid of nosy visitors, wouldn't you say? Thorin's heart was still racing, and he stepped closer, standing behind Glowin's chair in order to watch Bilbo's face. The hobbit had obviously been badly surprised by the question, and he hadn't quite regained his composure. His face was pale, and there was a tightness around his eyes that hadn't yet dissipated. Bilbo had only known thirteen dwarves. Three of them were dead. His heart pounded in his ears, drowning out the sound of the little wooden flute. Thorin's head fell into his hands. No. No, it could not be so. Bilbo had been dear to him, yes, but... He clenched his eyes tighter, and the stars devoured him and spat him back out into the chamber of Sansukul. His underground sense of time told him it was late, but Thorin could not move did not move. He sat on his customary bench and listened to the thrashing of his heart against his ribcage, his mind flying to pieces. He had no idea how long he had been sitting there when a hand on his shoulder brought him back to himself. He raised his face from his hands, blinking his stinging eyes. His face felt rubbery and numb, and his heart had not slowed at all. In fact, he felt rather lightheaded. Uncle? Keeley's voice said worriedly, and the boy's face swam into view. Did you know? Thorin croaked. Did I know what? Keeley said. I came to get you. It's dinner time. You've missed the midday meal, and grandmother... About me, Thorin said, and licked his suddenly dry lips. And Bilbo. Keeley frowned, and then... Quick as Gandalf would light his staff, his expression became guarded. What about you and Bilbo? Don't, Don't toy, with, toy me. with me, Thorin roared, his voice bouncing from the beautiful limestone curtains and wings that cascaded over the walls. Did you, Did you know? know? Keeley had stepped back at Thorin's sudden shout, and his chin snapped up. 
Yes, he said steadily. Everyone guessed, but nobody knew. Thorne stared at his nephew and then turned away, his hands fisting in his hair. Go now, he said through gritted teeth. His heart was about to smash its way through his chest. I will not be eating. Uncle, Keeley said, taking a step forward before halting and sighing deeply. At least you knew him, he said. At least you had that. I knew nothing, Thorne said, voice cracking. Fool that I am. I had him in my arms and I could not see him. He sank back down on his bench and covered his face with his hands once more. He could hear Keeley's boots scuffing along the stone of the chamber, and then his nephew's hand tentatively touched his shoulder. He ruthlessly strangled the sob that tried to claw its way out of his throat. So you didn't know, said Keeley quietly. That explains a few things, then. He sat beside Thorin, his hand still resting on his shoulder. You know, Keeley said into the silence, you always used to seem so perfect to me. Invulnerable, implacable. I never thought about what everything had cost you. I never knew what you had lost. Before, you were Thorin, my king and uncle, a great war hero who had kept our people from starving and given us the best life he could. Thorne allowed his hair to spill over his face to hide the tears that were seeping between his fingers. Now I can see all the things you had to lose, Keeley said, and he sounded thoughtful and rather pensive. All the things you had to give up. All the things you never even considered having for your own because you had to be bigger than that. You had to be a king and a hero and a symbol for us all. You had to keep on giving us hope and leading us onwards, all alone. There was only you. Mahal wept, Thorin. I had no idea. You were but ninety-five when Thrain disappeared. That's, what, twelve years or so older than Feely? And suddenly you were the king of a homeless and wandering people, my mother would have helped, but then Fee and I were born, and everyone else was dead. Just you, on your own, for a century. Killy huffed a little laugh and leaned against his shoulder slightly. I remember, when we were a little older, you had to stop being Uncle Thorin and start being Thorin instead. I was so hurt. Oh, I was so angry. But Feely told me to stop grumbling, and eventually I just accepted it. Now I know why you had to do it. You had to stop being only ours. You couldn't belong to us. You had to be everyone's. So when we formed the company, you had to be everyone's, not just ours. When we confronted the Goblin King, you had to protect us all. When Azog had us cornered, you tried to buy everyone some time. When Thranduil had us captured, you stood between him and everyone else. In Lake Town, you spoke out for everyone. You always placed yourself between your dwarves and whatever it was we faced. And I never realized, I never got, why it seemed 
so effortless to just go along with it. Thorne allowed his hands to drop into his lap and stared at them for a long moment. So you see, it isn't a great failing on your part, Keeley said earnestly, and he leaned his scruffy chin on top of Thorin's shoulder, patting his back clumsily. You had to belong to all of Durin's folk from the day Thrain went missing. Why should you expect to belong to one person alone? Why would you expect to have someone of your very own? You all knew. Thorin said again, and Keeley made an irritated sound. Trust you to ignore everything I just said. I'm sure I'll never sound so wise ever again. I wish Balin could have heard it. Keeley. Thorin tried to keep the growl from his voice. Keeley dug his pointed chin into his shoulder. All right, keep your scowl on. Keeley tipped his head until the side rested against Thorin's and he picked up Thorin's hand and began to study it absently. Thorin allowed him to, distantly watching his hand get prodded and poked at, as though it didn't even belong to him. We guessed. After the Carrack, you just seemed... more open. I couldn't believe it, and everyone else seemed just as confused. You've never really opened up to anyone before. I mean, even Dwalin thinks you're a bit closed off. But there you were actually seeking Bilbo out. You asked him about himself. You told him things about yourself. You wanted his advice. You, wanting someone's advice. You even smiled at him. The pair of you fought like a cat and a rat at times, but it never mattered. Not really. You always drifted back together. Keeley paused, and then he fitted his palms against Thorns, comparing their sizes. Keeley's was far, far smaller, and would never grow any larger. Then he said slowly, For the first time since Fee and I were small, you didn't belong to everyone equally. You were giving one person more of you than anyone I've ever seen. Keeley, Thorne said, and folded his fingers over Keeley's with a shuddering sigh. What you are saying, I... I never gave it much thought. I loved you. I always have. I tried to do right by you, Nidoyel. But I had to do my duty by my people. I had to. I had to give them back their pride and their home. It is, was, my only purpose. Now I find that there could have been more than duty for me. And it is too late. He set his jaw and gazed down at their clasped hands, and his heart finally stopped clattering and juddering, only to sink deep into his belly like a stone. It is hopelessly late. No, see, that's where I think you're wrong, Keeley said, and nudged him. You're dead, right? Thorin glowered at him. Keeley grinned. Bilbo's still out there, still alive and we can look after him. It's not likely that much is going to happen to him in the Shire, but you never know, do you? So, we take care of him until it's his turn to pass through the mists. Bilbo is a hobbit, Thorin reminded Keeley. He cannot come to the halls of Mahal. Right. Bilbo is a hobbit. Bilbo has fifty or so years to go. 
"'That's nothing to a dwarf, but,' said Keeley, and he smiled innocently. "'How annoying do you think I can be in that time?' Thorin stared at him. "'You... you cannot.' "'Well, if you can shout at our Maker, surely I can make a nuisance of myself.' Untasted wells. He stooped and looked in mirror, mirror, and saw a crown of stars appear as gems upon a silver thread above the shadows of his head. Translations. Birashagami, I'm sorry. Nidoyel, boy of all boys. Gimlin Zaram, star pool. Sansukul, perfect sight. Ivybush, a pub on Bywater Road in the west farthing of the Shire. Blacklock, one of the seven clans of the dwarves. 